Turn with me this morning to the book of Luke. We'll be taking a break from Psalms this morning. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I know it says in your bulletin 8 through 20, but I'm going to read Luke 2, 1 through 20. Now, I don't know what your traditions are in your family. When I was growing up, and I've continued the tradition in my own family, I have heard or read this particular scripture section every single year of my life on Christmas morning. But how many times when hearing these words have I really heard it with ears that hear? As a child, you know how it is. You're so anxious to open those Christmas presents. You want your father, whoever it is that might read these words, to get on with it. You want to rip those presents open. And sometimes when you read this, you think, I've heard it before. And it just is a rote thing. We've heard these words so many times in so many ways. But if you have ears that hear, that is, the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to understand these words and your ears to hear it, then it brings across new meaning to understand really what was taking place in this historical event. You see, this is not a story, just a fictional story. This is something that really happened in the annals of history. It is documented. It is true. Hear now the words of Luke as he has thoroughly researched the topic and presented it for us to understand what really happened. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there were no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, That will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. As we consider these words, let us turn to the Lord briefly in prayer.
Lord, indeed, do open our ears and hearts to hear and understand this word today. Lord, in faith, to believe it and to have it impact us in such a way that our lives are afresh each day with new grace, new love, new purpose. Lord, change us and mold us according to your spirit. Conform us to the image of Christ and remind us of the wonderful truths contained in this book called the Bible. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. In Sunday school, there were a few times here at our church where the kids sang in the opening of their Sunday school, Good News, Good News. And it's a wonderful song. It tells about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet when I think of the good news and good news, I think perhaps of the old days long past when there would be a boy on the corner selling the daily newspaper and calling out the news of the day. Usually it wasn't good news. But after all, there could be on Christmas Sunday morning a newspaper boy saying good news, good news. Well, the problem is, our children and grandchildren won't know what it's like to receive the daily newspaper. You know, about 10 years ago now, I stopped receiving a daily newspaper. For all of my life, the first 40 years of my life, I can remember always having a daily newspaper. Newspapers were a large part of my life. In fact, as a boy, I was a newspaper carrier. In fact, one time I even got my picture in that paper because I was the newspaper carrier of the month. And I still to this day have the alarm clock that I won, an electric alarm clock with green digital that still works to this day. And yet, even though that paper was such an important part of my life, reading it, and particularly as a young person getting the baseball box scores out of it, hearing the news and getting the latest that was going on in the community, even later on after I stopped receiving a daily newspaper, writing a weekly column in the local paper in our last church. And yet, despite all of this, in some ways, we've reverted back to where news is largely by other means. You see, for centuries, it was not the newspaper. It was a messenger or by word of mouth that news was spread. The most accurate of all types of reports is still the eyewitness report. You see, Luke in his book has thoroughly researched the details. In fact, if you look back at Luke chapter 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We live in a day and an age where truth and where accuracy is not necessarily commended. Instead, we look at opinion, and our news is now no longer eyewitness accounts or thoroughly researched or accurate details, but is so often an opinion or a political viewpoint. But Luke, when he wrote this gospel, 
He wrote, in essence, to make sure that we have certainty regarding these things that really took place. He researched it. In fact, we think that Luke probably interviewed Mary, interviewed John Mark, interviewed other characters of the New Testament in order to write his gospel. You see, as far as we know, Luke was the doctor who accompanied Paul on his missionary trips. He was a Gentile. He was not necessarily there in all these moments of Jesus' life, but he was able in his writing, his research, and his ability to compile these things to compose an accurate picture historically of what took place from documents, historical accounts, and eyewitness testimony. And it's by this that we get first a historical account of Jesus' birth here in chapter 2. Secondly, an angelic announcement of Jesus' birth. And finally, the shepherd's announcement of Jesus' birth. Well, first of all, if you realize what is taking place early in chapter 2, you know that this is a historical account. It gives us the time and the circumstances and the place in which these events occurred. Notice first, it is in world history. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, of course, when we understand the term world here from Caesar Augustus' standpoint, he means all the Roman Empire. And of course, to those who were in the Roman Empire, they thought that's all that mattered. So here it was, everybody in the Roman Empire, all the world in this phrase, should be registered. And notice here, Caesar Augustus, it is a historical figure. One that we can relate to, find historical evidence that he really did exist. And then he gives us the other ruler of the local area or region in which this was taking place, the governor of Syria by the name of Quirinius. So in this world history, the Roman Empire, we understand that this registration was to take place. Now, of course, we also know the reason for this registration, taxation. Now, of course, we know the world tells us there's nothing certain but death and taxes, right? So here they were. In a regular world event, in something that can be recorded in history and shown accurately outside the scriptures even. And we see that they were gathering together for the purpose in the Roman Empire of taxation so that all of them could be registered to pay their taxes. But it's not just world history that takes place. Luke describes this family history. Joseph, it says, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. Again, real places, real regions in which he was from. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. You see, he was, first of all, going to the city of David. This city of David he was going to because he was of the line of David. In other words, this family history really recorded in history from David up to the present, uh, days of Joseph and Mary. It was recorded, it was real, they were real places, real times, real importance. And of course, the Roman Empire took great stock and credit 
in giving the local regions and people some rule or some uh, say in what takes place there. And of course, the best way to register the Jewish people was to understand their heritage and their family line because that was so valuable and important to them. And so here we see it, the line of David. And then, of course, there's also the local history. Here it is. While they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. A reminder that this local history at this particular time, this particular event in history, there were so many people coming to Bethlehem they could not accommodate everybody. They didn't have all the motels of Myrtle Beach, after all. They did not have the great inns that could accommodate the hordes of people that all credited themselves with the line of David. And so here they were, having to be in a place outside the inn, in a stable, giving birth in lowly circumstances. This is Luke's account of the world history, family history, and local history of this life-changing, world-impacting account of Jesus' birth. I have to say, sometimes when we look at these things, we have to be reminded how important it is to have accurate information. Years ago, I was a college student. It's now many years ago. It's amazing how time flies. One summer when I was in college, I had... An interesting job, I worked at a television station at a small town. It was probably perhaps one of the smallest towns in the area that had a TV station. By and large, my job was boring. I was the on-air switcher. In other words, I got to switch from the, the shows to the commercials. And that was what I did. I had to preview the commercials, which then were on VHS tape and make sure that they were worked and were set up right, and I would go and press buttons and do things from one thing to the next. My favorite were uh, the St. Louis Cardinal baseball games, where it was a live feed, and there were a few commercials, but I could watch a ball game as part of my job. But one day, I was asked to go out on a shoot. That is, they had a a five-minute news spot at the top of the hour at 6 o'clock, And it was kind of the highlight, I thought, of what I would be able to do at the news station. This particular event was the coming back of the veterans from the Gulf War. There was a parade. And we were to go out and shoot the reaction of the people at the parade. Well, I went out with them, and they couldn't find the shot that they liked because there weren't a lot of people on many corners. So they staged it. They had their families and other co-workers and others stand on the corner with signs and congratulate and cheer the coming veterans of the parade. It was a staged report of the Gulf War parade in Burlington, Iowa. I was shocked. This wasn't news. This was an acted-out dramatic event for the sake of looking, making the community look good. This was not news. This was drama. But this is not what Luke does. He doesn't give the stage stuff. In fact, when he gives these first seven verses of chapter 2 as the account here, he just describes the time, the place, the circumstances, and the lowly means by which this baby was born. He didn't have 
talking animals. He didn't have wonderful experiences here. He just described the fact that there was no place that they could sleep in the hotels in the area, and so they had to wrap him in these claws and place him in lowly circumstances. He just gave the details of the report. No stage stuff, but the lowest circumstances with no glory. And the story will contain a stable, the smells of animals, and the lowly circumstances of weary travelers. And then we come to the next section. If the first seven verses were true as a historical accurate account, so too should this account, the angelic announcement of Jesus' birth, also be true. He says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, of course, if you know anything about the history of the day, this was not something that was considered wonderful. Shepherds were on the low end of the totem pole. They were not considered wonderful first-class citizens. They were down on the social ladder and the social structure because they spent their days or their nights out with these animals in the fields. It was not a coveted job. It was not something in which people looked forward to doing. And they were not considered necessarily reliable or a part of community life even. And so when it says this, this is not setting up a place of glory. This is setting up a common, everyday, lowly, Seen. But something happens that is quite unusual. A joyful proclamation. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You see, these shepherds were going about their regular routine. They were out there with their sheep. They were protecting them from the animals. They were making sure they did not get lost. They were out there just to be with the sheep as they were day by day, night by night, going about their regular routine. And it's interesting here what happens when it says an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This word for appeared is not a nice word. It's almost as if this angel accosted them. In fact, he met them on the way. It's not, it's not necessarily the meeting where you, you meet and greet and say, hey, aren't, isn't this wonderful? It's just all of a sudden he accosted them in his glory and in the fearsome presence that any angel brings, but particularly this angel, the angel of the Lord. You see, this angel of the Lord is given... A message to give from God is empowered by God to represent him on this occasion. And when this angel comes, what is the first thing that the the shepherds respond with? Fear. Great fear. Some of you may have a beautiful looking angel on the top of your tree. I'm going to tell you it's probably not the angel appearance that appeared to these shepherds. The appearance of these angels everywhere where angels are present in scriptures is not of some nice, pretty angel that we just adore and look to with pleasure. They are fearsome creatures that if they appear in their full glory, provoke fear in the people. 
And so here, these shepherds had great fear. And then they experienced something else. Not only seeing this angel and all of his appearance, but it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. Amazingly, it might have been partly the glory of this angel, but God in some way gave his presence there, perhaps like the pillar of fire that he gave or the pillar of clouds that he gave to the Israelites in the desert. Somehow God's glory is there. And if we know anything about God's glory, when God's glory filled either the tabernacle or the temple, it filled it to the extent that the priests ministering in those places had to evacuate because they could not perform their duties. So when the shepherds, not even priests, not even those uh, used to uh, being afraid in the presence of God and worship, they're out there in the fields, out in nature, and all of a sudden God's glory is there, overwhelming them in this joyful proclamation. And then the angel says to them these words, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here are these shepherds cowering in fear. Wondering what in the world is going on. Something that is the most unusual event in, the, in their lives. They're just out there to tend the sheep. They're just out there to do their everyday thing. Perhaps talking about what sheep has gone astray or what sheep needs tending. Or, or what field they're going to go to the next day. Or, or what worker they're going to place in charge when they take a break. Whatever it is. And all of a sudden... Here is this angel and the glory of God accosting them in their complacency. And he tells them not only not to be afraid, but that he's going to give them good news. Good news that's not just for them, but for everybody. You see, he's giving an evangelical proclamation. Evangelical means pronouncing good news or giving good news. Here's the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This evangelical proclamation is so important and so wonderful and so joyous that here he is announcing even that, the things that even these shepherds would recognize. First of all, he says, a Savior is born. Now, of course, you all know what a Savior is. Someone who helps you in your time of need, particularly someone who helps you and saves you from impending death or punishment. And so here he's announcing that God is bringing a Savior. Now, of course, this could have all kinds of implications. Is this a Savior of the people from the Roman uh, power and control over Israel? Is this a Savior who will save them from the oppression that they feel as a people? Or is this the Savior that God has promised to restore a new empire of Israel or to, to the kind of savior that God has described in the Old Testament that would be a savior for all eternity. But in the end, it's a savior. But it's not just any savior. It is also the Christ who is born. Now, yes, the savior in Christ 
We know the same thing here, but in their connotations, it could be different things. When we talk about saviors, we can have a savior from a particular action, event, or enemy. We can have a savior that we mean as the Christ, the ultimate savior who would save his people. But this Christ, this is the term for Messiah. The Israelites would have known this so clearly. This was the anointed one that God had promised throughout the pages of the Old Testament. This Christ or Messiah was promised from the very early pages of Genesis in the Proto-Evangelion in Genesis 3 where it said the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And then in the Old Testament pages where it says a Christ or Messiah will come. Even the words that were read earlier from Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a son is given, that Christ who would come. But not only is there a Savior born, not only is there a Christ born, the one they would recognize would be the promised anointed one, the one who would be ruler over Israel and who would save their people as the Messiah But he's also the Lord. Notice what it says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This Lord is born, not just someone who would save his people and then hand over the reins to somebody else. Not just someone who fulfills the anointing of the Christ. This person is the master of all his people. He is Lord. He is sovereign over them, king over them forever. This is someone who truly is in the line of David. And being born in David's city, prophesied from of old in the book of Micah, chapter 5, from Bethlehem, Ephrata. Here he is, the Savior, Christ the Lord. This evangelical proclamation is a reminder that God's promises are now fulfilled after hundreds of years of waiting, after generation and generation wondering when God would fulfill the promise of the Messiah, wondering when there would be this forever king reigning on the throne of David. Now is the announcement he has been born. This is the joy. And in the end, it's a peaceful proclamation. Suddenly, it says, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This peaceful proclamation, ironically, is by a heavenly army. You see, when it says host, that word host does not mean many people or many beings, The word host is the word for army, the word for those who are out ready to march on the battlefield, the the massive hosts of a great army ready to fight battles. This is the, the heavenly army. And here they are, this army, fearsome. You thought one angel was fearsome. Imagine seeing all this heavenly host, a picture in heaven, perhaps even the sky being ripped apart to display the army of God in all of their glory. And they proclaim peace of all things. A peaceful proclamation by a heavenly army 
praising God, saying these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And notice this peaceful proclamation by the heavenly army is that peace would come by the highest sovereign God. Sometimes I think we around here, because of all the sappy Christmas movies, and all the, the, the idea that there's some kind of special Christmas spirit. I don't know where that comes from. But I do know this. We tend to say in our secular culture that goodwill comes from men to other men. That's not what this means. The goodwill comes from God to men. It says, and on earth peace among those with whom he, that is God, is pleased. In other words, this goodwill, this, in essence, peace that would come, is not because we are such good people and can do such good things in a good holiday spirit. What does scripture say about people? There is no one righteous. No, not one. We love darkness rather than light. We are by nature those who have hearts that are intended and inclined towards evil continually is what scripture says. If we are dependent upon the goodwill we can give to people in a holiday season and just experience that all year long, we are all damned to hell because there's no hope. The only way we have hope is that the sovereign God with the heavenly armies of heaven can give good will to his people. It is God's grace, God's peace, God's good will that is pronounced here. That's why it's such good news. It's not the news that, that, hey, it's Christmas time and we're supposed to be kinder to each other. No. It's not that man is basically good and we just have to look for the right moments of kindness and goodness to feel good about ourselves. No. It's that we have a God who is gracious and looks upon wicked people and by his grace he will give them peace because he has sent a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I remember it's been more than 19 years now since the birth of our first child, Elena. I still had a story to tell people, despite the circumstances. We went in about midnight, and about midnight when my wife was experiencing the, all the, the details and circumstances that it was time to give birth, and we had for hours, uh, of course, some labor and other things that took place until the birth of Elena that day, or I don't remember if it was the day before, that day, we had had a church softball game. And as I was running home to score a run, the catcher inexplicably, because it was a church softball league, stood on home plate, and I stepped on his foot and turned my ankle. I had a terribly sprained ankle. On top of that, I had a cold. And I didn't sleep very well that night. And I remember in particular, because of my sprained ankle and my cold and my lack of sleep, I got up at one point when Jennifer woke me up to wheel the baby back to the nursery, and I got up and I was kind of giggling around the room, and she said, I don't trust you, and she called the nurse to take the baby instead. (laughs) 
But despite all those circumstances, I had news to tell and I could not wait to tell my father and other relatives that a baby was born. It was my child. It was my firstborn. And so the announcement to take place was a joyful expression despite the fact that my ankle hurt, despite the fact that my wife didn't trust me to wheel the baby back to the nursery, despite all those things, I wanted to tell everybody that Elena was born. And you see, this is God's announcement. This was his son. This was the birth announcement. Even though all the world did not understand the event at that moment, even though these shepherds had no clue what these angels were really proclaiming, even though the circumstances were such that the world would look back on in scorn and scoff at the news of this announcement, yet God could not help but give a wonderful announcement in all the glory of angels to tell these lowly shepherds that Jesus was born. You see, this was not just a supernatural event, and yes, it was, but it was a super world-changing cosmic news event that impacted the history of the entire world. All of history had been pointing to this event, and all of history is focusing now on the life of Jesus and what would take place. It was a life-changing, world-impacting cosmic event in the history of the world. No wonder God sent angels and his army to proclaim peace. But they weren't the only ones who gave an announcement. Look at what happens next. The angels go away, and it's almost comical. The shepherds look at one another, probably in wonder and amazement, and they say, well, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The way Luke describes it is that they have this impressive scene. They're scared to death. Then they're given this wonderful news with God's glory and all those things. And then they just look at each other and say, I guess, well, I guess we better go. (laughs) And so they go and they probably had to look for a while. You know, they didn't have GPS back then. And they weren't given a street and address. It says here, they went with haste and found them. They had to search and find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in this manger. And when they saw it, what did they do? They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they gave the report that Luke records. They told people they witnessed both the announcement and the scene of this baby lying in a manger. And it says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. First of all, there was a successful search. They found what was described in this angelic announcement. And then there were these circulated words amongst these parties that experienced or heard about what had happened First of all, notice the response in verse 18. It says, all who heard it wondered or marveled. The word here, I think, better is marveled. All who heard it marveled. Now, what does it mean to marvel at something? It means you're amazed. You're shocked. Your jaw drops. You can't believe it. It seems incredible. It's so hard to believe. 
You know, if you use the word Marvel now, you're to look up Marvel on your Google, it's going to immediately go to Marvel comics and movies, isn't it? And the idea of Marvel is this. Marvel uses words like this, the amazing Spider-Man, or Wonder Woman, or all of those words that are applied to superheroes and all those things. And of course, the whole idea of Marvel comics is you're just amazed at these particular stories. But this marvelous story that people are marveling about in the time of the shepherds is not a fictional story. It's not some superhuman that that has qualities that cannot possibly have taken place. It's not a fantasy. It's more than just marveling at a response. It's being amazed at what these people are saying. Because you know that those who are saying it actually believe it to be true. You know, they're not marveling at a story. They're marveling at somebody giving an eyewitness testimony of what they have experienced in real life. This is a shock. This is a marvelous story. And some of them simply marveled. Among them would have been Herod or the Pharisees or Pilate. Or others that when they continuously encountered Jesus along the way, saw all his miracles, saw all his teaching, saw all that take place, they marveled at it. But they didn't believe it. But others believed. You see, to marvel at something doesn't mean you necessarily believe it to be true. But there were those who marveled at these things And believed them. One of them was Mary. Notice what it says she did. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That is, she was securing them in her heart. That's kind of the word that's used here. It's kind of a strange word uh, to, to use. It's not just meditating upon. It's almost like locking them away or securing them in her heart. Mary, who heard it, pondered it. In other words, she, she treasured them. She looked at them and she just stored them up. She didn't understand everything about it. But can you imagine as a mother... Shepherds of all people, smelly, outcasts, lowest of society coming in to say that they saw an angel and a a heavenly army of angels proclaiming peace from God because of this baby. Somebody who had prophesied to them that they would find a baby lying in a manger of all things with swaddling cloths. What in the world? And Mary doesn't understand it all. But she believes it to be true, and she ponders them in her hearts. And then here's the shepherds. What did the shepherds do? Were they amazed and marveled? Absolutely. They were in awe. They were awestruck. Why God would appear to the shepherds and not to the doctors and lawyers and wise men of the age, we do not know. This was God's purpose. And again, continuously through the life of Jesus, where would he often appear? In the most power and by the most glory to those who were considered outcasts and lowly and unsavable. And here they were. What did they do? They celebrated. They celebrated. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What else could they do? It was with joy that they heard this announcement. It was with joy that they found the baby. And it's with joy that they come back and they say, 
This is incredible. God is going to bring peace to the earth through this baby. It is amazing. It is powerful. And so what do they do? They tell others. Notice what it said in verse 18. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherd said. You see this evangelical announcement. For those that believe the gospel, they cannot help but tell others. Sometimes we go through all kinds of ways and programs and methods to get evangelism across. The best way is that somebody simply believes the gospel and they cannot help but tell others about it. You see, this truly is the present that keeps on giving. This is what we really want, isn't it? We don't want a present we're going to throw away in a couple weeks or a present that will last a couple years and then it's forgotten. We don't want those things. We want a present that's going to last forever, don't we? This is the present that kept on giving. You see, Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. Knowing, believing, and finding Jesus, the Christ, leads to the desire to pass on the news of Christ. You see, it's not the newspapers that are going to convince everybody that Jesus is Lord. It's not the talking heads on all of these news programs of the opinion pieces and the political views in which they're going to say, hey, everybody, you've got to be Christians. No, that doesn't work. For whatever reason, it's the people across the strata of society that are ostracized at times, persecuted at other times, considered darn crazy by others, and absolutely scorned by the wise of the earth who go out and say, Jesus, save me from my sins. Jesus is the promised Messiah that God had promised from all points of history. And Jesus is my Lord. No matter what government may reign over me, no matter what circumstances may say things of one sort or another, no matter how much I am pressured to bow the knee to those who would claim to have the truth, unless it is of Jesus Christ, he is my Lord. Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. The shepherds believed and rejoiced. Mary believed, treasured these things in their hearts. All of those who heard these words marveled at them. And maybe you do too. But do you really believe them to be true? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel writer. When we call it the gospel of Luke, we mean good news. We thank you for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, and so many others that proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for those you have brought into our lives in the past who have proclaimed Christ because they have rejoiced at the news of Jesus, the Savior. And we pray, Lord, that we would not just be amazed at these words, but that we would believe them. We would trust that they are true. And therefore, we trust that Jesus is the Savior and our Lord.